Hey everyone, welcome back to the All Things Gymnastics Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Bueller, and I'm here with my co-host and twin sister, Brittany. Hey guys! This is the podcast where we talk about all things gymnastics, and today we're talking about week two of college gymnastics and talking about some news from around the gymnastics world. But before we get into that, we want to real quickly thank our gold-level Patreon supporters. Thank you to Blake B, Elaine E, Rydog, Faith M, Kristen R, Lori S, Sabrina M, and Amy C. Thank you all for supporting us each month at the highest tier level. Your support means so much to us and really makes a big difference in helping us keep the show running and making it what it is. So we want to say a big thank you, thank you, thank you, and let's get into today's episode. This past weekend, we wrapped up week two of college gymnastics, and there was a lot more teams competing, a lot more action going on out there, and we want to talk about some of the highlights and notable moments from the weekend, but we want to start with injuries. Not that that's a highlight by any means, We want to start with, like, the hard-hitting, like, reality. (laughs) We want to start with a really depressing topic. (laughs) Well, I, I think it's important to start with injuries because... A lot happened over the past weekend, and there's a lot of now question marks going into week three of college gymnastics. So we'll start with Victoria Wynn from Georgia. She was phenomenal in week one. Week two, she goes out, she does a bar routine, she does a vault, and then suddenly she's on crutches, Mm -hmm. and we're all confused. Yeah, that was a little weird to me because it was like she was there one second, and then she's gone the next. Everyone was saying Victoria Wynn's on crutches, and I was like, how? She just competed, and she was fine. Yeah, the last event she did was vault, and, like, it was a fine vault. Like, she didn't look like she was in pain. Like, you know how sometimes when someone lands, like, you can kind of see they went, and they look like they're in pain? Yeah. And you can tell they did something? I didn't see that with her. She seemed to be completely fine, and then all of a sudden she was on crutches. So, a lot of people were confused by that. So, I read that it was some form of an ankle injury. I don't know the severity of it yet. Um, hopefully, you know, next week we'll have more of an update on that. And hopefully mm-hmm. it's not anything too severe, because like I said before, we were expecting a lot of big things from her this season. Yeah. And injuries have just been a part of her gymnastics career as a whole. Right. She's always been struggling with injuries of some sort. Yeah, we so. hadn't seen her compete since, like, what, 2017, back when she was an elite? Yeah. So, it's like she finally gets to college, she's looking really good, and then... Now she's possibly injured. Like, can we please not let this happen? Like, gym gods, please come through. (laughs) Don't let this be a serious injury. Also, Michaela McGee, she was amazing in the first week of competition. You know, you and I were saying that we felt like it was her best meet, you know, as a whole, like, collectively. She was just on fire. And then we were expecting her to come back out and do the same thing again this past weekend. And she was not in any of the lineups. So... A little bit concerned. She's also on our fantasy team, so even more concerned because of that. (laughs) For us, selfishly. (laughs) I'm just joking, but... Speaking of somebody else on our fantasy team that might possibly be injured now is Christina Desiderio from LSU. So she had a floor routine that was kind of rough. She had two really hard landings on her ankle, appeared to be in a lot of pain afterwards, and then she didn't compete beam. That was the last event for LSU, and she was sitting with her leg heavily iced and, you know, she had it elevated. Mm -hmm. So somebody tweeted her asking like how her ankle was doing and she said it's seen better days. So, you know, hopefully, you know, like we were saying with Victoria, it's not anything too serious. And maybe it's just one of those things like 
athletes that are always injured, they're always injured. (laughs) And, you know, even if it's just like a little ache or pain here and there, like maybe it's not something serious. Maybe she just kind of tweaked it or hurt it a little bit, but like she's not going to be out for the season. So I'm keeping my fingers crossed that it's that kind of situation. Yeah. And it very well could be. Mm -hmm. There's also Amanda Ellswick from Arkansas. She had a phenomenal vault week one. So the theme here is girls being phenomenal week one and then getting injured week two. (laughs) Apparently. Um, Because she was in a boot Mm -hmm. and she didn't compete. So, don't know the status, really, on a lot of these injuries. It's kind of just little things that we're picking up on, um, or kind of just like a word of mouth. You know, someone says, you know, they think it's an ankle, or they think it's this or that. So, just little things, bumps and bruises so far. I don't believe any of these are too serious. But we're definitely going to be keeping our eyes out, um, you know, on each girl's team's social media pages and interviews and any kind of... You know, information that gets put out so we can kind of figure out what is going on because these are girls that are key contributors for these teams. They are. And yeah. would be a big blow if they actually lost them for the whole season. So now I want to move on to happier topics. We have a little yay or nay category. So we have a few yays, which is a good thing. That's a plus. Yeah, more yays than nays. We only have one nay. So we'll start with a yay, then we'll go to the nay, and then we'll finish off with a couple more yays. (laughs) (laughs) So the first yay is a very, very big yay. And that is Iowa having leotards that, um, so they have nude sleeves. Mm -hmm. and Like mesh sleeves. Yes. And the nude color, they had one for the black gymnast and one for the white gymnast so that it matches everybody's skin tone. It's a true nude leotard. Yes. Because I think a lot of teams, they think we're going to have a nude leotard, but by nude, they mean white. Basically, And we've seen so many teams just over the years having black gymnasts, darker skinned gymnasts, wearing leotards that are designed for a white person. And it doesn't look right. Yeah, it looks a little bit silly and it's not fair to the athletes. Mm -hmm. You know, you want something that is going to represent everybody and that everybody's going to look good in. Yeah. And I really want to applaud Iowa for taking this step, you know, when designing a leotard. That's something that a lot of teams, clearly, as we've seen, don't really take into consideration. So the fact that Iowa designed, you know, two different leotards, one for the black athletes on their team and one for the white athletes on their team, to make sure that everybody looked good in it and to make sure that everybody felt comfortable in it, you know, that's something that I think more teams should take note of and the other teams should do as well. Yeah, I'm hoping that becomes a trend because that was... So cool to see. Yeah. And also, the leotard was just gorgeous. Like, the mesh sleeves aside, it had a nice open back. It was sparkly. It just kind of reminded me of, like, a ball gown type dress. It was very, very elegant. Yeah, it was super sleek. Mm -hmm. So, you know, again... Round of applause to Iowa. We love you guys. You're doing great things. And um, thank you for embracing the diversity on your team and, you know, being inclusive all the way down to your leotard designs. Moving on to our singular nay for the weekend. (laughs) Oregon State, I think, definitely did not have the performance that they wanted to. It was their debut for the season, and they looked a little bit rough. Just a little bit. (laughs) They came away with a 1-9-1-9-5, which is not what you would expect for a team, you know, of their caliber. And that was partly due to their bars rotation. They came away with a 45-8, which I think think might be the lowest score I've ever seen 
in college gymnastics for like a division one team. Yeah. It was almost unheard of to have that bad of a bar rotation. Yeah. So what ended up happening was their first gymnast up was actually their highest score. And, you know, any of you major college gymnastics fans out there that watch week in, week out, you know that the strategy with these lineups is to have... You want your lowest scoring routine to be the first routine and then build as you go throughout the lineup. Yeah. That just wasn't the case for Oregon State over the It was like they started just mediocre and it went downhill. Pretty much. So the first gymnast went up and got a 9.55. Fortunately, that was the highest routine. Um, She stumbled out of her dismount but was able to, you know, keep it to her feet. Um, The next gymnast fell on her dismount. The third gymnast fell on a release. The fourth gymnast had a mistake with the high-to-low transition um, and then had to take an extra swing. So... All of the girls really had, you know, some form of an issue with the dismount, whether it was, like, stumbling out of them or falling or almost falling. It was kind of just a mess. Yeah. (laughs) And I think it's important to note that they only had two routines returning from last season. So I think this could have been a situation where there was a little bit of nerves. You know, it's the first meet of the season. A little bit of inexperience. Yep. And then also... Just a little bit of unpreparedness. I think a lot of teams were struggling with, you know, not having a preseason that looked like it normally would, not really having as much time to train and be together with the team. Everything just looks so different this year because of the pandemic and the Pac-12 conference in particular. There's been so much uncertainty with, you know, what their schedule is going to look like, when they can actually all go in the gym. Stanford, for example, has really not been able to be in the gym at all. Yeah. The Pac-12 has really had it rough off in terms of, you know, being able to train and come together as a team and actually get prepared for the season. Well, and I think Oregon, aside from California, had one of the, like, strictest lockdowns, yeah. which obviously doesn't help. So I think they're just a little bit behind in terms of where everybody else is at, and it's mm-hmm. almost not even fair to really compare, you know, Oregon State, UCLA when they compete, Cal when they compete, Stanford when they compete, to compare those teams to other teams in the nation that have been training for a while now. Yeah, you know, or they're kind of not little, at the same level. Or teams that just had like a little bit more time to prepare and get ready. Yeah. Um I don't think that this is going to be like a reoccurring theme for Oregon State. I think it really just is like a rough start to the season. Oh, they did have a new bar coach too, so mm-hmm. that could be you know, I, I don't necessarily think that's the reason. There's but a lot of factors I think that went into their performance. Yeah, over the weekend. That's just another transition that they had to deal with. Yeah. So I'm, I'm hopeful that, you know, they'll go back to the gym, they'll work out the kinks, and hopefully the next time they return to competition, they'll be a little bit better. Going back to some yays, I wanted to mention Addie DeJesus' debut for Iowa State. So I didn't get to watch this whole meet because I was actually working and I was kind of being like a super sleuth. I had my phone out and I was trying to watch while I was at work and not let anyone know what I was doing. (laughs) So I was catching bits and pieces of the meet here and there. And I did happen to see her vault. She did a beautiful Yurchenko one and a half, stuck landing. She got a 9-9. And I definitely feel like she's worthy of a 10 on that event. Super, super clean. Lots of power. Really is an amazing vaulter and also just an all-rounder. I think she 
she's a huge catch for Iowa State. She is, yeah. She was, you know, obviously at Nebraska originally, and she was one of their strongest athletes. Then there was a period of time where we thought she was going to UCLA. That lasted for like a hot second. And then now she's at Iowa State. I think that she's thriving. I've really enjoyed seeing her in all the preseason training videos. She looks amazing. Her mm-hmm. fall is incredible as ever. She's nailing those double layouts off bars. She cranks those out like it's nothing. Yeah. Her floor is amazing. She didn't have the best floor performance over the weekend, but not really worried about it. I think that, you know, she's going to be just fine this season. Floor and vault are definitely her best events, or at least they were when she was at Nebraska. So not too worried about her. I think she's going to be a huge asset to this team. I also want to talk about Florida and some of the girls on the team kneeling during the national anthem. I think that is a huge deal. So Alex McGee, Savannah Shane here, Naya Reed, Chloe Clark, and Ali Lazari all took a knee during the national anthem, and it was not shown on the broadcast, but there were some pictures on social media and some talk on social media about it, and we just want to applaud them for having the courage to, you know, take a stand and use their voice and use their platform to fight for bigger causes mm-hmm. and fight for something bigger than themselves. There's been so much injustice in this country for a long time. I, I almost said just this year, but I mean, this year alone, last year, well, last actually, year, 2020. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, sorry, I'm still in my brain. It's not 2021 yet. <laughs> you know what I mean? The last year for this country has been really, really crazy, and... There's been injustices, though, going on for, you know, forever. And I think for them to use their platform and raise awareness for some of these causes. And I understand there's some controversy surrounding taking a kneel during the national anthem. A lot of people will say it's disrespectful to the national anthem, to the flag, to the people that serve in the army. Um, I understand those arguments, but I also think there's a lot of other reasons why athletes kneel. And I think, you know, Savannah Shane here, she released a statement a couple days before the competition, which kind of made me think that they were going to do something, or at least she was going to do something. But I think her post really does paint the picture of why these girls were kneeling. And it's for more than just one cause. There's a lot of things that go into this, and I don't think they meant any disrespect by it. I think that they were just fighting for what they believe in. And I want to read Savannah's statement because, like I said, I think she does a really nice job of explaining why they made the decision that they did. Yeah, and like her thought process and her rationale behind it. Mm-hmm. So she said, We live in a country that bases its core values off of liberty and justice for all. However, these words don't line up with America's actions. There have been an endless number of incidents displaying hatred, acts of racism, homophobia, and more. I kneel because there's not justice for all. I kneel for my friends who are black, as well as the rest of the black community. I kneel for myself and for my fellow members of the LGBTQ plus community. I kneel to use my platform as a student athlete to speak up for what I believe in. I kneel for equality for all. And I think all of the girls, in some way or another, issued a statement. The girls that kneeled during the national anthem, they issued a statement about why they did it. Um, I also wanted to read Ali Lazari's, because I think hers was very well put. She said, Being a person of color, I kneel out of love, respect, and support for my teammates, friends, and those who have experienced discrimination and feel injustice. I kneel for social equality. I kneel to use my voice and my privilege in sharing what I believe is right. In kneeling, 
We are drawing attention to today's current events and inequalities, but I also still recognize and support the military and all of my family members and friends who have served and are serving. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's wonderfully put. Mm -hmm. And like you said, I think it's so courageous, you know, knowing that... There's a lot of pushback. Yeah, they could get some, you know, backlash on this. And, you know, ever since Colin Kaepernick kneeled during the national anthem as a form of peaceful protest, you know, there's always been people who have, you know, found a way to make a problem out of it. And, you know, obviously I'm understanding to other opinions and other views and totally respect that. But, you know, to me, this is a peaceful form of protest. This is a peaceful way of taking a stand. There's a lot worse things that somebody could be doing, like, for example, storm a government building, um, <laughs> you know, just saying, um, you know, there's nothing wrong with this. And I think that even though the entire Florida team wasn't kneeling, you know, that's another thing that may have been hard for them just to have certain girls choosing to kneel, mm-hmm. you know, but I do believe that they felt supported by their teammates based off of Naya Reed's statement, um, feeling support from Jenny Rowland and the coaching staff, Again, I just think it's a very courageous thing to do. And, and very empowering, I'd imagine, for them to feel like yeah. they can use their platform to raise awareness for something that they feel so passionate about and that maybe even affects their lives. You know, Savannah mentioned the LGBTQ plus community, and she's a part of that. Um, you know, there's so many minorities on these college gymnastics teams and to have a team like Florida that's so popular and, you know, a super famous team in the gymnastics world to have them standing up for these minority groups. I think that is super special. Yeah, I agree. And I think that seeing athletes take a stand like that is what gives other athletes courage to take a stand as well. Mm -hmm. You know, seeing, like you said, one of the top teams in the nation, um, really, you know, take a stance on some of these issues and have some athletes say, you know, hey, we're not afraid to let you know that, you know, this is something that we believe, this is something that we think is a problem, despite the fact that people might not like mm-hmm. it, despite the fact that people might push back on it, this is what we believe and we're going to stand for that. Um, you know, you just hope that other athletes see that and feel encouraged and empowered by that and that more people will be able to take a stand and, you know, have confidence in themselves to fight for what they believe in. So another highlight for me this weekend, or I guess another yay, if that's what we're calling them, is the fight that Georgia put up this weekend against Florida. So Florida ended up winning. They got a 19725 to Georgia's 196075. But really up until the last rotation, I would say Georgia was in it. Mm -hmm. So they started out the meet pretty strong. They had their second highest team score of the night on vault, which kind of surprised me a little bit. The lowest score that they counted was actually a 9-8, and that was without Michaela McGee in her one and a half. You know, last week she got a 9-9-2-5, so they were without her this week, and it's also with Rachel Lucas only doing a full. So they so, put up four Yushchenko fulls, two 10-0 start values, and to not have anything count below a 9-8 was pretty impressive. Yeah, that's really good, and, you know, considering that they didn't have, like, their full potential on vault, I think that's just a sign of good things to come if they can do that well with not even having all 10-0 start values. Obviously, they're capable of doing a lot more, so I was really impressed with that, and I think it definitely helped them to keep pace with Florida over the weekend. I think if they're going to want to, you know, be more competitive in the postseason, they're going to need those 10-0 start value vaults, but 
you know, for now, beginning of the season, I think that works for them. And clearly it's working for them because they did so well on the event. Yeah. And then they moved over to floor where they had their best rotation of the night. So one of the highlights for me was Rachel Bauman. She absolutely nailed her double Arabian. She two feet stuck it. It was so great. And she got a 9925. It was also fun on the broadcast. They were showing Alyssa watching Rachel's routine, which I thought was kind of cool because like you can tell she was like rooting for her, but then also trying not like outwardly root for her. It's like she was holding back a little bit. (laughs) Well, I mean, she was clapping and I feel like there was other people on Florida's team. Mm -hmm. You can kind of see that little box also clapping. So, I mean, you love to see that. Just being supportive of each other, despite the fact that they're on different teams. We also saw Haley DeYoung make her debut on floor this past weekend and she scored a 9.85, which helped her to win her very first all-around competition. So, Obviously, with Trinity Thomas having a fall on balance beam and also going out of bounds on floor, she didn't quite have her best all-around meet. Mm -hmm. Typically, we would expect Trinity Thomas to be better than that and to win the all-around, but super happy for Haley DeYoung, first meet as an all-arounder, and look at that, she won. Yeah, I mean, if she can take advantage of somebody else's mistakes, you know, that's what the sport's all about, you know, people make mistakes and you gotta be able to step up and capitalize, and she totally did that, so a well-deserved win. However, this is where things kind of took a turn for the worse in this meet. I would say that Georgia was really doing a good job with keeping pace with Florida throughout the entire meet, and then they kind of gave it away on balance beam. They had a little bit of a meltdown. Event total was only a 48.5, and the highest score came from Rachel Bauman, which was a 9.825. So everybody else was under 9.725, which just wasn't enough to get the job done. Florida had an outstanding floor rotation, capped off with a career high 9975 from Naya Reed. I had a feeling that was coming. She was absolutely nailing her routine all the way down to the last pass. And she really set Trinity up for a perfect 10, I mm-hmm. would say. And Trinity had a great routine going. First pass was solid. Second pass was solid. Leaps were great. And then she went out of bounds on the last pass. Yeah. It's kind of funny because Florida didn't really need Trinity's score. You know, at that rate, the meet was already over. Florida was going to win it. And she was really just having to go out there and hit that routine for herself and just kind of have fun and do her thing. And, you know, there wasn't really a lot of pressure on her, but I think she put a lot of pressure on herself. And I just think it's really interesting how athletes do that. Yeah. Because not having the pressure from your team and having to have your score count, that's a pretty big thing. But I think Trinity sometimes focuses too much on being perfect and she puts that pressure on herself and you can kind of see that because this isn't the first time where she's been put in a situation where the athlete before her gets a really good score and you know all she needs to do is just do her normal routine and she could totally go 10 but then she has like a little hiccup somewhere in the routine yeah so it's just the expectation I think like she knows what the expectation is yeah and she might get in her head a little bit I mean we don't fully know that's just kind of our you know guess just because I have seen Trinity do that before where she's totally set up for it and it's and towards, she has a little mistake and it's towards the end of the routine that she makes a mistake too yeah because that happened last season as well it was on her leap series i think i forget what meet it was but she kind of fell out of her stumbled out of her leap pass and that's what prevented her from getting the time yeah so it's like she's going this is gonna be a good routine like and as she's, as she's building you're like oh my gosh she's gonna do it she's gonna do it and, and then, then it's like no yeah <laughs> just kidding she's not but she's going to get a 10 at some point this season again. She's amazing. And week after week, she's so consistent. So it's always unfortunate when an athlete that's so consistent makes a mistake like that. But it's Trinity. She's going to come back next week and probably get a 10. So, <laughs> And overall, 
very proud of Georgia for the fight that they put up. And I really feel like they were in this thing until the very end. So mm-hmm. just got to work out those little kinks on Beam. But overall, very, very impressed with that team. And I do want to mention Soraya Hawthorne on Beam. It wasn't her best routine, obviously, like, score-wise and execution-wise, but... I just want to give her a massive round of applause for going after some really unique skills and making her routine look different than, like, every other routine that we see every single weekend. Yeah. So she does a switch leap into a switch split jump, which is super, super cool. I don't know what it is about that that I love, but it's just so, like, aesthetically pleasing and, like, fun to watch. And then she also does a front toss, but she starts from her knee. That's my favorite thing to watch Yeah. So, we see front tosses all the time, but I don't think I've ever seen one done starting from the knee before. So, I don't know, just some really unique stuff to set her apart from everybody else. And I always appreciate gymnasts that try to do something a little bit different, because it makes them stand out. A big highlight and one of my personal favorite meets from the weekend was... Arkansas and LSU going head-to-head once again. They went head-to-head in the first week, and I was really, really hoping they would come through, Arkansas would come through and get the win the second week, but came up a little bit short, but it was still really exciting meet. Arkansas did improve their team score from the last week by almost three-tenths, so definitely not something that they should be disappointed with. I think that, you know, overall, they were really, really amazing. They did have kind of a subpar uneven bar rotation that I think in the end kind of did them in and made it so, you know, LSU could run away with the meat. Yeah, for sure. So I think that bars is one of their strongest events as a team. We saw that in week one. Didn't quite translate into week two. We had a fall from freshman Jillian Rutz and then also a fall from Kennedy Hambrick, which was a shame Mm -hmm. just because she's obviously one of the most experienced members of that team. Someone that you typically would count on to go up and hit and bring in a big score. There were some highlights of that rotation. There was Sarah Schaefer on bars. She has a beautiful routine. Nice floaty stuck double layout. She ended up getting a 9-9. And then also Maggie O'Hara. She went up and got a 9.95, which is another career high. We talked mm-hmm. about last week, you know, she got a 9.9 and that was her career high. And then this week she goes and just obliterates it and just does another one that's even better. Yeah. She at some point is going to get a 10. I'm calling it now. Her technique is just so perfect. And like her handstand, she goes right up on top of the bar. She really doesn't give the judges a lot to deduct. And I think we were saying this last week, the one area where she's maybe not as perfect or as consistent is usually the landing, but she totally got that this week. So was really, really, really close to getting that perfect score. I can feel it coming. I'm keeping my fingers crossed. But she also went 9925 on beam, and that was her career high over there as well. So she's kind of becoming like the superstar for Arkansas, and I'm loving it. Yeah. And I feel like she didn't really get the chance to shine at Michigan. She spent, you know, the first couple of years injured, so she wasn't making lineups. And then eventually she got herself into the beam and bar lineups at Michigan. But I feel like, you know, with her being in the anchor spot at Arkansas on bars, and then, you know, she's in the middle of the pack on beam, I feel like there's just more of an opportunity for her to shine. And I feel like she's just finally getting the recognition that she deserves because I feel like not a lot of people were talking about her when she was at Michigan and now everyone in the gym tonight just loves her and she's like totally like dominating and now she's like the saving real- grace of Arkansas. Yeah, now everyone realizes how much they were sleeping on her in the past. Mm-hmm. I feel like we've talked about her a couple times on the show already. We just, we love her. We love to see her doing well at Arkansas and that was definitely a big highlight for me. Also, I think just how they performed the team as a whole 
coming back after a kind of a rough rotation on bars and whenever there was a mistake it seemed like they bounced back and I didn't let that phase them. Yeah like on Beam for example again freshman Jillian Rutt she also had a fall on Beam unfortunately and the back half mm-hmm. of that Beam lineup totally just rallied. Mm-hmm. So between Sarah Schaefer, Maggie O'Hara, Sophia Carter. They were amazing the last half of that rotation. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't quite enough for them to make up ground with LSU. LSU was strong. They weren't giving way. You know, they just were going out and doing what, they, what was expected of them. And it was just too late at that point in time for Arkansas to really catch up. Mm-hmm. But but it makes you wonder, like, what's going to happen when this whole lineup hits? Like, when there's not a fall at the beginning of the lineup, like, what can this team accomplish? Exactly. I think they're going to be scary good. And I think that even though they didn't win, I think it's just a sign of how amazing this team can be. And they had a similar type performance on floor where it was like everybody was just routine after routine. They were just nailing them and getting 9-9 after 9-9. It was like a 9-9 party on floor. Yeah, so they actually had an event total of a 49.5 on that event, which is huge. And I mm-hmm. think it speaks volumes to the work that Jordan is putting in with that team. You know, she kind of did something similar with UCLA where they really upped the conditioning and everyone was in better shape. They were able to get through their routines and they didn't appear to be gassed out. Yeah. When Jordan was in charge of the floor lineup at UCLA, remember they were the number one ranked floor team in the country. So yes. I think just seeing that improvement already with her being at Arkansas, like, is this team going to become a floor team? Oh, for sure. And already with that 49-5, one of the top scores in the nation. Let's actually take a look at that because I'm curious to see where they're ranked now after week two of competition. I know Michigan was ranked number one on floor, but I'm imagining the Arkansas is going to be right up there with that score. So they're ranked eighth on floor, but of course, remember, they had two weeks of competition. And that's just what happens with college gymnastics. You have teams that compete once, and of course, they're going to kind of shoot to the top of the rankings because they just had one meet and they're not averaging anything. But as the weeks go on and more teams compete, and if Arkansas can continue to be consistent on floor, they could totally go up from there. I'm checking the score from the first week of competition to see what they did on floor. Okay, so they got a 49-1. So still Which a really still solid good. score. And yeah, an improvement week two. So I think there's little areas they could improve to make their score go up. But a 49-5, it doesn't really get much better than that. That's like some top-notch shit right there. Yeah, and they didn't go below a 9.875. So if they can start getting that out like every single week, like week after week, they're going to be unstoppable on that event. And they're totally capable of it. On another Arkansas-related note, I want to mention their leotards. Mm-hmm. I loved it. Very, very pretty. I think that was the first time we saw those leos. I believe so, yeah. Yeah. And it was um, so stunning. Yeah. The back was, like, open. It was all fancy. And I know it's their colors, red and white, so it's not like it was a choice that they necessarily made, but I just love that color combination, and I think it pops, and it makes everybody look good. Which is a good thing. We talked about that with Iowa, like having something that everyone looks good in. And it complements like different skin tones. Not only skin tones, but also like body styles. Like you want something that's going to be flattering on everybody. Yeah. And this Leo was absolutely gorgeous. So I don't know who designed it, but good job, whoever you are. (laughs) And of course, this podcast wouldn't be complete if you and I didn't talk about Michigan and their season opening performance, a record score for the Wolverines as a season debut. They got a 197-225. Absolutely crushed it. I think they're proving to people why they're going to be one of the top teams in the nation, and they totally did that over the weekend. Yeah, so 
as of Monday morning, where things stand, Michigan is currently ranked third as a team in the nation and also first on bars and first on floor. Again, that's only after having one meet under their belt and a lot of the other top teams have two meets that they're averaging. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's not quite fair. Yeah, after next week, we'll see. But I just think that's very telling. You know, according to the preseason rankings... Which were bullshit, by the way. They were in fifth. And me and you were kind of like, like, I get it, but also like, no. People are sleeping on Michigan like they always do. Yeah, I think that they have one of the strongest teams in the nation across all four events. I think that when you have a lineup of, well, first of all, capability to have a lineup on full 10 start values. We only saw one full in the lineup this weekend and the rest were 10 start values, but that's without Annie Maxim. That's without Carly Bauman. That's without Jenna Mulligan. Yeah. So they have other options. And also high school and Mariani, they typically do fulls. They've never competed one and a half, but they can do one and a half. So, so much potential on vault for Michigan. And I think they really, they don't really have a weak event this year. I If you watched the me over the weekend, you'd probably think it was beam just because they didn't score as well as they probably typically would. But still some highlights in the rotation for sure. Maddie Mariani got a 9-9, which is her career high. That was in the second spot. Natalie Wojcik also got a 9-9. Yep. Some pretty subpar beam routines aside of that, I would say. Mm-hmm. But there's some things to consider with this. You know, Gabby Wilson, that was her beam debut and she didn't fall. It wasn't even a bad routine. It wasn't necessarily like a super high high scoring routine but that was her first one out mm-hmm. and admittedly I was nervous mm-hmm. because every time I've seen Gabby exhibition before she's fallen. Yeah. So you and I were really nervous for that. Yes and then Abby High School she has a career high of a 9925 on beam but she's one of those athletes really across all of the events that she's a little bit up and down. She's mm-hmm. not necessarily like a consistent like she's gonna go up every week and get a 985 kind of like Maddie Mariani. Yeah, it's like you can always count on Maddie Mariani to get a decent score. But with Abby High School, you know, like I said, she has a career high of a 9.925, but she's also gone up and fallen a lot or gotten just like an average score. So she's kind of the athlete where you don't always know what you're going to get with her. Mm -hmm. So I think having, you know, Gabby Wilson go up and then Abby High School go right after her, I was a little bit nervous to get through those two routines. And also, Michigan is without Carly Bauman right now, and she's someone that we expected to see not only on beam, but also on bars. Mm -hmm. Bars was actually, I would say, her best event, and where I expected her to have the biggest impact. Yeah, she's a JO National Champion on that event. Yeah, so don't quite know what's going on with that. I know a lot of people are messaging us just because we tend to know kind of more like what goes on with Michigan. Not because we have like inside connections or anything, but we we just follow the team so closely that we pick up on little things that other people, you know, might not. Um, And unfortunately, I don't know. I know that in the preseason, she was doing beam and floor at exhibitions. Mm -hmm. Um, I have yet to see her on bars at Michigan. Or on vol. I don't think we've seen her at all on either since she's gotten to Michigan. But I do know that in our interview with Bab from November, she was saying that Carly was someone that she was really excited about. She was mentioning, you know, her upgraded vol. Um, really just having her as an all-around potential for the team. So I, I think that's definitely still the expectation. She might just have, you know, a little tweak or a little something that is preventing her from being in the lineups right now that yeah. she's probably just coming back from. It could just be like a precautionary measure, which, you know, isn't a bad thing. Right. 
But either way, that's definitely someone that hopefully by postseason or midseason, you know, we could see Carly Bauman in both bars and beam as sort of a boost for the team. Mm-hmm. And I think on beam, that's kind of the boost that they're going to be looking for. Yeah, I think having her in is just going to make them stronger. And they do have some, like, backup options. Like, Nicoletta Kulos looked phenomenal on beam. She did an exhibition. She looks great on every event. Yeah. She exhibitioned on vault, bars, and beam, and then she was in the floor lineup. And she looks so solid. Mm-hmm. And I really could see her, maybe with the exception of Vault, just because I feel like her Vault is not the strongest. Well, it's good, but, you know, as the season goes on and they hopefully aim to have that whole 10 star value lineup, there might not necessarily be room for her. But I think there's definitely areas that she could step in and, like you said, just kind of boost this team a little bit. I think... Michigan's only going to get stronger as the season goes on. I think that's where we're getting with this. They had a really, really, really great start to the season. But I think, you know, they're going to keep that momentum going and just improve from here. And next weekend is going to be a really exciting meet because Michigan is facing Minnesota, who went 197-025 in their season opener. So we're going to have a Big Ten matchup next weekend with, obviously, the two top teams in the Big Ten Conference. And And also they're ranked number three and number four in the nation currently. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> that might be, be intense. That might be the meet of the week. <laughs> and yeah, and it's exciting too because, you know, a lot of Big Ten meets are on Big Ten Plus. So kind of like Oklahoma, it's a little bit of an eye roll in the sense that like not everybody's able to watch it. Like Well, at least Big Ten Plus is a paid stream. I mean shrew. It's it's, it's, it's <laughs> Oklahoma is wrong on this, but I believe it's available in most areas. You just have to pay for it. With Oklahoma, it's like you're just fucked if you don't right. live in Oklahoma. They're like literally screw off. You're not watching us. <laughs> <laughs> but with Michigan, yeah, you just have to pay, or with any big time. I mean, either way, what you're saying is it's still kind of inconvenient to watch Michigan when it's they're not on as big time easy plus. as it should be, yeah. especially this season with people not being able to even go in person. I was hoping that a lot more conferences would be aka Big Ten and Big 12, um, would be a little bit more lax with their streaming services. Yeah, or like letting them either just be free or, you yeah, know, cause... doing like a package deal with like the Big Ten. Like they have, you can subscribe by like sports and you can do like a gymnastics package, except they don't have a gymnastics package. They have it for every Which other is sport stupid. by gymnastics. They would make so much money if they made a gymnastics package. Like, of course, I roll, they have one for like all the big sports like football and basketball, but I don't know if they think that like people just don't care about gymnastics. My guess says there's some stupid guys in the headquarters <laughs> office that think gymnastics isn't a sport. Like, we don't need a package for that. No one's going to do that. There would be so many gymnastics fans that I think I would know. pay to have a subscription for three months of Big Ten Gymnastics. Totally. They're, they're losing out on money by not having a gymnastics package. So they're lost. That's their problem. But anyways, I guess that's kind of beside the point. I think you were saying that the meet this weekend is going to be on ESPN. Yes, it's accessible. So I think it's on ESPN too. Okay. Um, You can always check either balancing situation or... Just go to the schedule for each team. They usually link to not only live stats, but the live stream if there is a live stream. So those are two good places to check. Yeah, but the meet is going to be on a Friday, which is exciting because usually Friday I feel like is reserved for like the The SEC schools and it's like the big team. So it's to see Michigan getting like primetime coverage on a Friday night. And Minnesota. And Minnesota. To see both of them getting that is Mm -hmm. so exciting, so huge, and it's going to be an incredible matchup. It's going to be super intense. I'm not going to enjoy it as a Michigan fan because I'm going to be very nervous. I have a feeling it's going to be one of those meets where 
it's going to come down to the final routine and they're going to be going like back to back trying to one up each other. I have a feeling it's going to be one of those meets, which those are the most exciting meets. So, <laughs> and also real quick, while we're on the topic of Minnesota, I want to give a shout out to Maya Hooten. We talked about her previously in our like fantasy gym episode where we kind of previewed like what people, you know, you might be want as a secret weapon on your team because she's a freshman and she's from Minnesota and she's amazing, especially on floor. So she has a one and a half on vault. We'll start with that. <laughs> a one and a half on vault that she balked over the past weekend. Um, I'm not quite sure what happened there. I'm assuming she either tripped or she messed up her stops. It kind of looked like she tripped on the live stream. It was a little bit scary. Yeah, because she ended up like flying over over the table and normally you can run up to the table or you can run past it and it's not a deduction but because her foot touched the table as she was flying over it was almost like she kind of used her foot to like push herself so she didn't land on her head like she was getting herself some rotation so she could land which is very smart yeah but because she did that that counted as her vault and she got a zero so kind of unfortunate way to start your college career but i was gonna say when floor came around she got a 995, and her floor routine is so fun. It's Beyonce. She's super sassy. She sells it, and I totally expected her to do that just from watching her in her J.O. career. Like, I knew that she was fun on that event, mm-hmm. and she is someone that I think is just going to continue to grow, continue to flourish, and she's going to be an absolute superstar for Minnesota, especially when they lose Anna Loper and Lexi Ramler. Oh, yeah. She's someone that I think is going to continue you know, to build a legacy for herself at Minnesota and also just keep the team rolling in the next, you know, four years to come. Mm-hmm. That's actually a good segue for the next segment that I want to talk about, which is floor routines. You mentioned she had a Beyonce-themed floor routine. Well, so does Reagan Smith. And <laughs> I'm... I don't know how I feel about it. I don't it. know how I feel about it either because... They said during the first week of competition, the commentators said that KJ said that this is, like, more Reagan, like, the style of routine is, is more Reagan, which it is interesting, because I definitely don't think of Reagan as Beyonce in any way whatsoever. Like, she's the farthest thing from Beyonce. Yeah, like, when you hear Beyonce, I think of, like, Nia Dennis or... Yeah. Margzetta Frazier. I mean, just yeah. girls who tend to be a little bit more, like, sassy and charismatic and... Like, you had to embody Beyonce. Yes. <laughs> and it's no shade to Reagan because I think she's a great performer, typically. Well, and the but thing this is... this routine isn't working The thing her. is, is, like, I don't mind the choreography. Like, I think it's fine. But, like, give it to Anastasia Webb. Like, she... Anastasia Webb would sell that routine. And that's really what it comes down to is just the way you perform it. Like, I feel like Beyonce is a performer and she's a great dancer and, like, she's kind of known for that. And... Reagan just looks terrified. And it looks like she's thinking too hard about her passes, which I I get it. Like, I'm not trying to shade her for, like, how she has to focus and all that. Like, I understand I would totally be the, I'd be the same way. Like, I'd right. be sitting there, like, in my head, like, oh my god, I have to go for a pass. Right. And, like, forgetting to smile and, like, sell the routine. So it's no shade. It's just she doesn't sell the choreography. And I don't I don't think of her as Beyonce in any way. So I, I'm kind of confused by that correlation between Reagan Smith and Beyonce and why this is a better routine for her. Like, I don't understand why it's better suited for her. You know, I think her routine last year was actually better suited for her. Yeah, she had fun with that choreography. Yeah, and I think it just kind of, like, I don't want to say matched her personality, because I I know people hate when you say, like, your full routine is your personality, because majority of the time that's not the case. It's usually, like, a a story or a character that you're portraying. 
Um, but I just feel like the routine she had last year seemed to fit more of, like, it seemed more comfortable for her. Yeah. When you can tell from the way she did it, like, she looked comfortable, she looked confident. She almost had this, like, smirk on her face when she was doing it. Like, you could see the confidence radiating when she was doing that routine. Whereas, who knows? I mean, maybe she'll settle into this routine as the season goes on. But as of right now, I watch it and all I can do is just wish somebody else was doing that routine. (laughs) So it's quite the opposite of what KJ was probably hoping for, but... I also want to mention Sydney Johnson Sharp from Florida. She's always been an amazing performer and an amazing dancer. Her routine was one that stuck with me right away. In my opinion, you know it's a good routine when people kind of start to pick up on it or they want to see it again right after you do it. Like, I was looking for her routine on YouTube shortly after the meet ended, and I memorized it pretty quickly. (laughs) Um, You were also just like that. Like, our brains just pick up on choreography quick. But I won't memorize something that doesn't stick with me. And hers did for some reason. I will say that I think the end is a little bit weak. Like, the whole choreography sequence before her last pass. I think that could be a little bit stronger. It goes with the music, so that's not the problem. And it's not that she's not selling it either. Like, of course, she just has this natural performance quality. I just think the moves itself are kind of weak. Like, she could be doing so much more with the choreography at that point. Yeah. Um... But overall, I really like that routine. I don't know if you have any thoughts on it, but I personally really enjoyed it. I like it. It's not my favorite routine of her, I will say. I would say that her routine last year was probably my favorite, and then I would say her freshman year, and then I would say this year so far. Um, So it's definitely not, like, up in my top Sydney Jackson Sharp routines, but when you look at the NCAA as a whole and the choreography that we've seen so far, I do think that her routine is one of the most memorable, one of the most fun, mm-hmm. and she something is- that I think will continue to just grow as season goes on. I think she'll continue to develop that style more and um, continue to sell it. Yeah. I do think in terms of, like, the NCAA as a whole, when you, like, expand the scope and you look at everybody, like, she definitely is superior in terms of performance quality. So she has that working for her. And no matter what she does, her routines are always going to be amazing. Very true. Um, Darianne Goborn is another one that performs really well. And this year, she has a really fun routine with fun music. It's kind of like a throwback routine. She has some older style music in there, which is a lot of fun. Really, the only thing that's missing is the crowd, which is not her fault. But I watch I her I watch her routine, and I'm like, this is nice. Like, she's doing a good job selling the choreography. It just it's missing something. It's like, who is she selling it to? Right. And I watched her routine a couple times, and I'm like, what is this missing? And then I realized what it's missing is, like, the crowd, like, getting worked up. Yeah. <laughs> and she's, it's, like, dead silence. Yeah, because, like, <laughs> she's doing all these, like, fun moves, and then it's just awkwardly silent in the arena. It just doesn't feel the same. So that's my problem, but it, that's nothing to do with Darion. Like, that's obviously not her fault. I just can't help but wish there was a massive crowd when she was doing this routine, which is really unfortunate because it's her senior year, so unless she comes back next year, which there is a possibility with, you know, depending on scholarships and openings for each team that some of these girls could return again, we'll see, but you know, if this were to be her last routine, I feel like she deserves to have a big crowd. And all she has is, like, a thousand people, maybe. So it just, it doesn't feel the same. But hey, I guess if we're being, like, optimistic and positive here, that's better than what other teams have. Like, some schools, like Michigan, don't really even have a crowd. So to have even just a thousand fans is better than 
probably what they should be having at this point in time with the way that COVID cases are rising. Very true. Very true. But speaking of Michigan, Gabby Wilson is another teen that we absolutely love. Bev kind of alluded to this in our interview with her and then Abby Brenner. They were talking about Gabby's floor teen and how we're going to love it. And they did not lie to us. We love it. (laughs) The first time I saw it, I was like, yes, this Mm -hmm. is it. Michigan, in my opinion, is one of the teams that has not always had the best choreography. I think that their music usually isn't catchy enough. I think that, like, when you look at the top teams and, like, what makes the top teams stand out, like Florida, Oklahoma, UCLA, Utah, they have really catchy music. They have intricate choreography. Yeah, the musicality is good. They have all these qualities. And I do think that's something that Michigan has struggled with in the past. And that's coming from somebody who is obsessed with Michigan in every sense of the word. So um, with Myliana Kanawa as the choreographer, I do think I've seen some improvements. Mm-hmm. And Gabby is a perfect example of that. Her musicality in this routine is great. I think the music is engaging and it pulls you in. Again, she can't really sell it to a crowd because she doesn't really have a crowd to sell it to, Mm -hmm. but I believe that if there was a crowd, they would be getting amped up for this routine. And the way she performed it last weekend, hear me out here, but does it kind of, in terms of like the sharpness in her movements and just so you guys know she's sitting here trying to find the word and like doing like this weird circle motion with her hands and I'm staring at her like what are you trying to say it reminds me of chase caps is what I'm trying to say and not necessarily in the style of the choreography because it's not the same style routine I'm talking about the way she like hits the beats and she's aggressive and like bah, and like you feel it yeah and, like, no I, I can like, see that she pops and then she's hitting all those little beats and, and it's like like, yeah, she's hitting the beats, and then she also, like, slows down at certain parts, and she knows where to look, and it's, yeah. like, everything just goes with the music. There's probably a word that <laughs> we're just not coming up with. Yeah, like, I can't think of what that word is. There's probably, if anyone out there is in the dance world, there's probably some term that you could use to describe what I'm trying to say right now, and I'm just not saying it properly, but hopefully you get what I'm trying to say. Like, it's not Chase Caps in terms of, like, the choreography and, like, the style of the routine, but it's the way she's doing the movements, how big they are. Yeah. It's, the intention that she has behind every move that she makes. Yes. Um, really, really special, I think. And few people can actually perform like that. So go watch that routine if you haven't already, because it's amazing. I think Michigan posted it on, like, all their social media platforms, so you don't have to go, like, digging for the feed on YouTube or anything. But definitely go check it out. I think it's worth the watch. And then from the same meet, Michigan-Ohio State, someone that stood out to me was Claire Gagliardi. Her routine was so much fun. Me and Brittany were, like, looking at each other and smiling as we were watching. Because there was a part of me that was like, what are we watching? I know. But I, was I, also, trying, I was trying to figure out what her theme was. Yeah. It seemed like a video game of some yeah. sort. And, and I'm like, am I just, like, not up with, like, what's cool anymore? Like, is this a game that everyone's playing and maybe I'm just not aware? Right. But I did get video game vibes from the routine. Oh, it, it was definitely some kind of video game. We just aren't video gamers, so we don't know, like, based off, like, what the music was or what the movement she was doing, if that's from something, but... So if you know, let us know. (laughs) But it's such a fun routine. I couldn't help but smile as I was watching her, and, you know, very entertaining. I think it was kind of, like, a UCLA-level performance in terms of, like, how into the routine she was getting and obviously having some sort of character. I really, really enjoyed that, so especially on a team like Ohio State where... They don't really have, like, a bunch of routines that stand out, necessarily, Mm -hmm. to have, like, a change in pace in the floor routines. 
um, really caught my attention. And I think caught a lot of people's attention that were watching the meet. So good on her for, you know, really getting into that character and selling the crap out of her 14. Even if there wasn't an audience, <laughs> um, you would never know it with her. You would think that she was making eye contact with millions of people in the crowd. Yeah, so. she was performing it just the same as she would if there was, you know, a lot of fans in the stands. Which is really hard to do. Yeah, that's one thing that I think a lot of gymnasts are having to like adapt to this year, which I couldn't imagine having to do, especially if you're from a team that's used to having like a crowd. There's some teams that only get like maybe a couple hundred. There's some teams that don't really get like many people at all. And then you have teams that get like a couple thousand and so on. And I couldn't imagine having to perform and get in that competition mindset when it doesn't feel like a competition in a way because there's no one in the audience and there's a bunch of cardboard cutouts, <laughs> which is right. cool. And I understand like they're just doing everything they can to make it feel normal, but it's I couldn't imagine. Same. Yeah. If I was an athlete, I feel like that would be like a big struggle for me because I would, I would get in my head and start to think that like, this isn't actually a competition, but it is and it, it matters. It, it like, doesn't feel like it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But those were definitely some of the highlights in terms of flirting so far. We have more teams competing next weekend, including hopefully, fingers crossed, UCLA. So hopefully we'll get to see some more flirtines. But for now, those are the routines that really stood out to me within the first two weeks of gymnastics. Moving away from college gymnastics here for a moment, we want to just give a little news update with some happenings in the gymnastics world. First of all, Sean and Andrew East are pregnant, again, with their second baby. They announced that on their YouTube channel. That's so exciting, and I feel, like, also kind of expected. Like, we all knew that, like, they were just itching to have another kid. (laughs) I feel like they just had Drew, their first child, and now they're pregnant again. (laughs) So... Surprise! I feel like... Carly Patterson was always that way, too. It seems like she had, like, kid after kid after kid, and I feel like Sean's going to be that, too. Like, she's going to have the second kid, and then... Then they're going to have a third kid. Yeah. (laughs) But congratulations to them. That's very exciting, and you can follow their whole journey on their YouTube channel. They document, like, the whole process and do all kinds of fun videos, so if you're into that kind of thing, you can go ahead and check that out. And then I also wanted to mention Winter Cup... We possibly have our first big televised elite competition coming up. So for the first time ever, the Winter Cup is going to include a women's division, both junior and senior, which is really exciting. There is not a definitive roster that's been released yet, but we're kind of starting to piece together who might potentially be there just based off social media. Lori said that that is going to be her first meet back, which is so, so exciting. I feel like we've been waiting for this moment and hopefully it's finally going to come. I'm kind of like low-key afraid the event's going to get canceled. I am too. Um, I'm very like, even just with college gymnastics season, just really anxious about all these meets and just kind of in denial that we're actually going to see some of these things happen or that we're going to get through them. Yeah. There's a part of me that's a little bit hesitant and like trying not to get too excited, but until it actually gets canceled, I'm just going to operate under the assumption that it is happening. They have said that there's going to be no fans in the stands, of course, and then um, there's going to be some coverage that you can watch online or on TV. So hoping that that happens just for the sheer fact that I want to see Lori Hernandez compete. And Chelsea Memo said that she might be competing there too. Mm -hmm. So it kind of just depends on like where she's at when that meet rolls around. But she did indicate that that was kind of what she was, like, aiming for. Morgan Hurd also said that that was going to be her first competition of the season. And then Michaela said in her most recent YouTube video that she was planning on being there. Um, I don't know how that's going to go with her 
having COVID pneumonia and she was out of the gym for a while. And that was what her most recent YouTube video was about, which is kind of like an update and answering questions about her getting COVID. But she did say that like that was her intention was to compete at Winter Cup. Um, but she also didn't necessarily say that it was 100% going to happen now given what happened to her. So like we said, that's not really like a definitive list, but um, just some hints of who might be competing, which it sounds like a lot of girls are really aiming for this competition, which I don't blame them. They haven't competed in so long. I know. And it's like, probably dying to me, get out Like there. take it while you have the chance. Yeah. So whoever is there, it's going to be a good competition, of course, if it happens. And I wanted to just go ahead and say the schedule for those who want to watch it or who can watch it. Friday, February 26th at 7.30 Eastern Time is day one of Senior Men's, and that is on NBC Sports Network. And then on Saturday, so the next day, February 27th at 12.30 Eastern Time, there is the Senior Women's Division on NBC. From my understanding, the men's competition is a two-day event. Only day one is televised. The women, it's only like a senior division and then a junior division, and the junior division is not televised. There's also the Elite Team Comp happening that weekend, as well as the Nastia Cup. The Nastia Cup will be Friday, February 26th at 2.30 p.m. Eastern Time, so it's going to be right before day one of the Men's Winter Cup, and that will also be on NBC Sports Network. So you'll have the Nastia Cup, you'll have day one of Men's Winter Cup, and then that will be it for Friday, and then on Saturday we'll get the Women's Winter Cup. So lots of exciting stuff, hopefully going to happen. Keeping our fingers crossed that the event can go on, but of course that everyone can do it safely. That's the most important thing. I think we're all a little bit nervous about these events happening and everyone's safety. Obviously, athletes are not immune to it. Like we said, Michaela Skinner had COVID and it sounded like she had it pretty rough. So she was in the hospital for a little bit and really had a rough go with it. So just a reminder that this affects everybody and we need to be safe and smart when we hold competitions. So hoping for a healthy and safe event for all. Thank you guys for tuning in to today's episode. We wanted to let you know that there might be a little bit of a schedule change going forward, at least for the next couple of months. Brittany and I are in the process of moving. We're finally moving out on our own, which is really, really exciting. And we're also just really busy right now with work and school. Brittany's starting a new job. I'm in school full time doing an internship, doing broadcasts for EMU's gymnastics meets on ESPN. So there's just a lot going on in our lives right now. And it's all happening at once. Like, it's all happening basically end of January, beginning of February. Um, A lot of change. And it's going to continue to be kind of chaotic, I would say, for the next month or two. So we definitely want to be able to record as much as we can. Obviously, we don't want to stop the podcast. We want to keep going. I just think that at this time, weekly episodes is becoming a lot for us to do. Our weekends is really the only time we have a chance to do it. And even those weekends are now kind of starting to get busy with moving and with Ashley doing some broadcasting. And yeah, and just not having a lot of time to actually give everything we want to give to make it as great as it can be so we're definitely still going to continue on with the show it might just be more of a bi-weekly thing or just whenever we can just for a couple of months until things calm down in our lives and then we'll be back full swing we do have some interviews and stuff that we really want to do and a lot of exciting things that we're hoping to accomplish with the show so we're not going anywhere 
don't worry, we will still be around and still recording, just kind of working around our crazy life schedule at the moment. So just wanted to give you guys an update that from this point forward, our episodes aren't going to be as consistent as far as uploading every single Monday, but make sure you're subscribed on whatever platform you listen on so you don't miss an episode when we do post one. And also make sure you're following us on social media. We're at All Things Gym Pod on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And of course, anything that changes, any updates, you can always find out there. So thank you guys for tuning in. We love you and we will talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.